According to the website, domesticviolence.org, every year, right around 10 million people become victims of domestic violence. That equates to just about 20 people every minute. Now, those are some pretty big and startling numbers. It affects not only women, but men and children, all different races, status, religions, and culture. No one is immune to it. Domestic violence shows itself in different forms, physical and emotional. I'm turning around. I was driving down Quinn. I'm turning around. Did you look on find him again? This is at Columbus. Subject 1074. Electronic. I'm Thank you for listening to this episode of NCJA 1014. I'm your host, Kirk Puckett. October has been designated Domestic Violence Awareness Month since 1981. And in the years since, the message has been the same. No matter the situation, domestic violence is never okay. From an investigative standpoint, DV cases can be quite complicated and cumbersome for law enforcement. And our focus on this episode will hopefully provide officers with a better understanding of some of the cans and cannots of assisting agencies. My guests for this episode are frontline workers in the domestic violence arena. Nisha Williams is legal director with the North Carolina Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Joining us for the discussion also is Kathy Robertson, executive director at Cleveland County Abuse Prevention Council in Shelby. Great to have both of you ladies. We've got a lot to cover. So, Nisha, let's start the discussion in your specialty area, which is the legal side. What information can victim service providers share about current or former clients with law enforcement? Thanks for having us um, today, Kirk. My response to that question is that victim service providers are actually very limited in what they can share about current or former clients with law enforcement. They unfortunately have their hands tied, if you will, and they're not able to share confidential client information unless they have a court order signed by a judge or there is a statutory mandate that requires them to share that information. Mainly, most of this information is often shared if they have that client or former client's written consent. Very important information for someone on the street to kind of keep in mind, because I know, again, a lot of things happen in domestic violence cases as they unravel. And knowing those exceptions is really important information. But let's talk a little bit more about victim service providers. Are they allowed to share information about clients or domestic violence shelter residents if a missing persons report has been filed? The answer is no. The answer is no, because, again, domestic violence shelters and service providers have a very high level of confidentiality that they have to provide for domestic violence survivors. We have that high level of confidentiality requirements, one, because our federal law has mandated that. And they've mandated it through the Violence Against Women's Act, also known as VAWA, which is a very commonly known law. However, many folks, including many legal professionals and law enforcement, may not be familiar with the fact that VAWA requires domestic violence service providers to not share confidential client information with outside parties, which actually includes law enforcement. Well, and again, I'm going to go back to street cops. 
a guy comes in or a gal comes in and they're working this missing persons report that they have been given and they're trying to get information from a DV agency. And again, as you've just expressed, your hands are tied. And I hope that law enforcement who are listening to this podcast will understand that and and get a grasp on that, that these agencies are not trying to be obstructive and they're not pushing back. But obviously, as you've alliterated, there are just some things that you can't do. So I'm going to roll into this next question with why are these victim protections so important? They're so important because, one, stigma is something that domestic violence survivors combat every day. Domestic violence survivors do not want people to know the secret that they're living with, the secret that they are not safe in their home and that they are being controlled by the person who they love the most. And privacy, being able to go somewhere and have a conversation and know that the conversations you're having is private is something that the federal government has deemed paramount in the services that domestic violence service providers must provide. So one, these uh, protections are very important because they provide survivors with a level of safety and continuity and privacy that they otherwise would not receive in other aspects of receiving services. Kathy, let's have some discussion about this process from a services perspective, which you obviously are involved with as executive director at the Cleveland County Abuse Council. Let's go into what your practice is for responding to requests for client information. We can certainly use my little scenario there of a law enforcement officer coming in and beginning to ask questions about a missing person. So obviously there has to be something in place for you to be able to say to that law enforcement officer about what information it is that they're seeking? So if a law enforcement officer shows up at our location, uh, our first consideration is safety because we know very often that abusers will file a missing persons report when they're trying to find someone who has tried to leave them. Of course, we're thinking about staying within the law. So we explain that we receive federal funding and that we cannot share information. We've created a handout to give to law enforcement that quotes the law, both from the Violence Against Women Act and the Family Violence Prevention and Services Act, quoted from the Federal Register with a link to the law. And then we explain what we can and can't do. We thank them for their services and give them information so that they can contact me directly if they have questions. And at that point, that's the end of our conversation with law enforcement, or that's the end of what we can say with law enforcement. But after they leave, if we have contact with that person, we'll go to that person and say, hey, someone has filed a missing person's report. If we know who that person was, we'll share that information and we'll ask them what they want to do. And if they don't know what to do, if they like, if it's their abuser and they say, well, I know that law enforcement needs to know I'm okay, but I don't want my abuser to know that I'm here because he or she will come here looking for me. Then we talk about who can you contact, who you trust to let them know that you're safe ask them to contact law enforcement. Sometimes we ask, would you be comfortable talking to law enforcement in another county and have that that law enforcement agency call Cleveland County law enforcement to say, we've had contact with this person. She is safe. So, but we really, at that point, everything is client-centered and victim-centered. So it's, we go to the victim if we have contact and say, what do you want to do next? And if what they want to do next is to say nothing, then that's what we do. So it's not like you're just drawing a line in the sand and saying, 
no, sorry, we just can't help you. As long as you get the client involved, it kind of opens up another door, right? Right. And it, but it's always client focused, client centered. It's their decision. When we do staff training, we talk to our staff about victims are the experts on their situation. So they know more than I do about whether if they respond to this missing persons report, is their abuser going to figure out they're at our shelter and then they're no longer safe and maybe they have to relocate to out of county? Or is that abuser going to show up or be waiting for them when they leave our facility? So we always follow the victim's lead on what they think is the safest way to respond. And let me just throw this little caveat out there. Just because you are based in Cleveland County, these are not just Cleveland County rules. These are rules that apply from Murphy to Manio throughout the state of North Carolina. Am I right in that again? They're federal rules. So yes, they apply in North Carolina, but they apply to everywhere in our country. So let me take it one step further. Law enforcement is charged periodically with serving warrants and subpoenas. And if information is produced that client may be in a shelter somewhere in some county in North Carolina and they have that information, how do agencies respond if law enforcement needs to serve a warrant or a subpoena? First, an agency determines if that warrant is a search warrant or an arrest warrant. If it's a search warrant for the premises of the domestic violence service provider, then the agency would have to comply. However, if it's an arrest warrant for a person or a subpoena for a person that they believe that the DV agency is currently serving, the DV agency will respond that they cannot confirm or deny that they are giving services to such a person. The agency may take that information from law enforcement. If an agency does take that information from law enforcement, we often recommend that that agency takes that information from law enforcement every time as to not give law enforcement an indication that person may be there, right? So law enforcement will set up a relationship with the domestic violence agency and say, hey, this is a copy of an arrest warrant and a subpoena. I know you cannot confirm or deny if you serve this person, but if you do, here it is. And then the agency can go and, as Kathy stated earlier, can discuss with the survivor behind closed doors how they want to handle accepting service of this warrant or service of a subpoena. But if it's an arrest warrant or if it's a subpoena, an agency cannot and will not, because of federal regulations, share that confidential information that they are serving a particular person. Great, helpful information. Kathy, I want to drift back just a little bit to our discussion about missing persons because it just often seems that when a victim leaves or goes into hiding or, or whatever descriptor you want to put on it, someone in that family triggers some worry, some concern. And that first worry or concern is often transformed into a missing persons report. So how can victim services help law enforcement if they're not allowed to share information about a missing person? We brainstorm with the victim. If, if we do have contact with the victim, 
about how they can safely respond to that if that's their choice. If it's not their choice and they don't want anyone to know where they are, perhaps because they've tried to leave in the past and their family members have told where they are and they know that the one way that they can be safe is to not tell anyone where they are, then we're going to respect that. But if there is a way to respond, a safe way for them to respond, we'll try to help them with whatever they need to do that. So with using our phone to respond where the number is not going to show when they call. Or again, calling law enforcement in another county. We do encourage people to respond, but sometimes responding is not the safest option for them. I think what we'd want law enforcement to know is we can't share anything and we won't share anything and we won't even do a wink, wink, nod, nod. That person's not really here. We won't. But that doesn't mean after you leave our door that we're not behind the scenes trying to do everything that we can within the mandates we've been given to help you because we know your job is hard and we want to be helpful, but we also want to be within the law. Speaking of, Nisha, is there anything that you can add further from a legal input? No, I I think Kathy stated it extremely well that law enforcement and domestic violence service providers are all crisis workers. They are working with folks actively in crisis just from different vantage points. What Kathy stated and what I'd like to reiterate is we want our communities to be safe. And we believe that by following the federal mandates and allowing survivors to be empowered with making the decisions over whether or not they reach out to law enforcement or reach out to their family members, we put that into their own hands and we give them the power back and give them the ability to speak who they want to speak to because that so often had previously been taken away from them. Great information. Ladies, thank you so much for your time. And I certainly hope that this is going to be the springboard that triggers a lot of discussion among service providers of domestic violence, as well as law enforcement throughout the state of North Carolina, because it truly, truly is a very valuable partnership. October is Domestic Violence Month, and while the message is no matter the situation, domestic violence is never okay, we've spent our time on this episode trying to shed some informative light for law enforcement. As indicated in the onset of our discussion, from an investigative standpoint, domestic violence cases can be quite complicated for law enforcement. Our hope is this episode provided officers and maybe even survivors with a better understanding of some of the cans and cannots of assisting agencies. My guest for this episode, Nisha Williams, who is legal director with the North Carolina Coalition Against Domestic Violence, and joining us for the discussion, Kathy Robertson, executive director at Cleveland County Abuse Prevention Council in Shelby. On behalf of the North Carolina Justice Academy, this is Kirk Puckett. Until our next episode, please stay safe. NCJA 1014.